scripture reading comes from, uh, it's actually, yeah, it's going to be Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 13. And um, we ask that you find the scripture. Uh, there's Bibles under, underneath your, your uh, chairs. Um, you can also look up the scripture in your, uh, if you have a Bible app or your own Bible. And um, yeah, we're going to post it uh, as well. Uh, we will project it. But we ask that, uh, yeah, so again, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 2 through 13. And I'll be reading the scripture for us today, uh, but we ask that you stand for the reading of God's word uh, as able once you are ready to read. So again, that's Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 2 through 13. All right. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to, set, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, uh, friends, we are um, continuing in our sermon series, Life Period. And um, yeah, if you, if, if you want to ever play catch up, you can definitely you know, see the archive of messages in the past on our YouTube channel. Um, but today's message is Life by Spirit. Does that sound weird, that, that phrasing, life by spirit? So what I was trying to get at is that sometimes people will describe death this way. They'll say death by whatever, right? There's different ways that people die. And, you know, so it could be death by, I don't want to get gruesome here, but, you know, it could be like death by car accident or death by, you know, whatever, whatever illness there is. But, um, you know, as I was thinking about this, one of the funnier ways that I've heard people describe death by is death by meeting. So this was actually like a leadership book that came out, it's like a business book. It was kind of talking about how we have like way too many meetings, you know, especially in like the corporate world. And so like this idea that you would just have so many meetings that it would just slowly crush your soul until you died. You know, I don't know. I found that to be kind of funny, but I don't know, maybe that's a little morbid. But so today's message is not death by. Today's message is life by. So if you can have a means of death, 
I think it stands to reason you can have a means of life. Now, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Steve, what do you mean life by? Because don't we just have life by our parents, that they loved each other, and not to get into the birds and the bees, but you guys know, right? Don't we just have life by, you know, breathing air into our lungs and eating food and, you know, having drink and not expiring, you know? But friends, we know that there is life and then there's life, right? Isn't that what all of us are looking for? It's not just to get by. It's not just to survive, but we want to thrive. As we've mentioned uh, several times throughout this sermon series, this idea that Jesus promises us abundant life. I have come to give you life and to give it abundantly. That word abundantly means overflowing. The good life, don't we all want the good life? What is it? It's one of the questions that uh, Dallas Willard says is one of the great questions that you have to ask in life. What is the good life? And then how do you get it? And one of the things that we mentioned uh, in the past week is that maybe uh, some of us, many of us, most of us, the way that we live, we can't always control the kind of life that we want, right? This is one of the things that you always hear, right? People are always like, you know, like Nike, just do it, you know? Just set your mind to something, set a goal, and then do it. It's not that simple, is it, right? Because if it were that simple, everyone in the world would be happy, right? But we know that. So many people are miserable. Even in a country like ours, where we have probably never been richer. I mean, our gadgets are cooler than they've ever been. Can you imagine going in a time machine 200 years ago and showing someone your iPhone? They would be like, you're a wizard, or you must be the richest person ever. I mean, that is like the coolest thing ever. We have all these cool doodads, and we have gotten our lives to a certain place where we are safe, and you know, th- th- we, we have so many good things, but many of us are not happy. And so friends, the, the question I wanna ask you is, is the way that you are living right now producing life, the kind of life that, that I'm talking about here, the abundant life, is it producing the good life for you now? Or is it the way, this is the the world's trick, by the way, if you didn't know this. I think we've all suspected this, that the way life works and the way that, you know, our our society works, capitalism, all this stuff, is there's always a carrot that's being dangled in front of you, right? Like, if you get this, if you graduate, if you graduate from college, if you get a job, if you get married, if you get that promotion, then you're gonna be happy and you get it, right? You graduate and you're like, okay, well now what? And then there's another carrot down the road and it just keeps getting dangled, right? And, and friends, I gotta tell you, you know, I'm like, how old am I now? I'm 44, I think I'm 44. I, you start losing count, right, after a while. But, you know, I gotta tell you that that idea of the carrot, it never stops. You're gonna to get to different milestones in life and you're gonna get there and you're gonna be like, okay, am I happy now? Do I have life now? And then there's going to be the next thing. You're like, oh my gosh, i got to do that now, right? And it never, never, never ends. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, is do you have that kind of life now? And, and you might be like, but Pastor Steve, a lot of us are in school, or a lot of us, you know, we're, we're, we're looking for a job, or I just got my first job. How can you ask me this question? But i got to tell you, this is life. Life doesn't come after you get some milestone. You're living it now. Life, this is one of the secrets of life. 
is that life is all journey. It's all journey. This is what you get. You never know when your number is going to be called and then you're not going to be here anymore, right? So you better start living your life now, right? And so is the way that I'm living right now producing the kind of abundant life that Jesus talks about? And so friends, what, when it's talking about how we are able to do that, we started getting into this last week, but Romans 8 is one of the, the I mean, it is just an incredible scripture passage. Uh, Romans 8 is, is uh, I, I say like one of my favorite scripture passages, but if you know me long enough, I have like 500 favorite scripture passages. But I gotta tell you, Romans 8, I've spent a couple years just meditating on it. I, I used to read Romans 8 every night. Um, I, I've, I've tried to memorize parts of it. Um, I, I say that, that, you know, definitely the Holy Spirit, God, through Romans 8, saved my life. I, I mean this. A couple years ago, um, I, I had this, these terrible panic attacks. I couldn't sleep. I felt like I couldn't breathe. It, it was awful. And so I would just read Romans 8 at night before I went to bed, just over and over and over again. And the more that I read Romans 8, I'm like, man, there is so much here that tells us about life. How do we get that life? And so, friends, um, I'm going to try to explain it to you, but i got to tell you, it is very dense. And some of the things that I'm going to be talking about are a little bit technical. So I want to ask you, just really, really encourage you to stick with me a little bit, because we're going to go into terms and words and try to explain them and try to show you what they look like in the original Greek. If that sounds daunting, it's not as daunting as it sounds, but one of the things that, that I have to say is that some of the terms that are used in this passage, we have associated them with something that I don't think Paul intended, right? And so the way that we're going to get this life, right? I mean, it's not a spoiler because it was in the title of the sermon. Life by spirit. You are going to get it by the spirit, right? And so it starts talking about that. And so we got to try to explain that a little bit. Right? So it, it just starts off, it says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I know, I know this is the Holy Spirit. Right? And the Holy Spirit is probably like the most mysterious uh, of the you know, three persons of the Trinity, if you ever heard that, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right? And so I want to try to just explain real quick to you what the Holy Spirit is. The Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father and God the Son, right? Because I don't know about y'all, but I haven't seen Jesus with my two peepers, right? I have not seen God with my eyes, you know? But I experience God. I experience God through the Holy Spirit. That's how all of us experience. So, so it, it is the way that God works in this world. But the things about spirits is spirits move us. Spirits, um, it, it, it sort of animates the will, right? And so, friends, if this sounds like a little bit mystical, it really isn't, right? Have you ever heard people talk about school spirits? D did your school have school spirit? Does, does, uh, for those of you guys who go to University of Michigan, when everyone is, like, chanting the victors, right? Hail to the victors, yeah. And you feel that. You feel that swell right? And you start chanting along, and you're not an outgoing person. You don't like, you know, kind of like public displays like that, but you find yourself like, hey, 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 nah, nah. why? Why? 
Because the spirit took over you. A spirit took over you. You guys ever seen, uh, I, I use this example all the time when I talk about spirit, but it's because my kids used to watch it all the time. They still do. You ever see that old cartoon called Spirits? It's about that, that, that like stallion in the American West, and nobody could break it, right? Nobody could ride it. If somebody tried to jump on the back of Spirit, Spirit would, that's my horse, guys. That's it. <laughs> it would knock it off, right? And the, the, the Spirit was wild, right? Nobody could control Spirit. That's what we say about children who won't listen to adults. What do we say? We say, oh, wow, they're so spirited, right? And so this is what spirits do. They animate you. They make you move. They make you act, right? They, they, they give you like a supercharged will in some ways, right? And so I, I'm, I'm kind of known for this, if, if you guys have been at LGM for, for a little bit, is this is the way I explain what spirits do. You know the song Oceans? <laughs> Right? You know the song Oceans? Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. That's my Connie impression, because Connie's going to sing it later. <laughs> Spirits do what? Spirits lead. That's what they do. Right? The Holy Spirit is meant to lead you. Now, last week, we talked all about this idea that you are not led by the Spirit. You're led by your flesh most of the time. You're led by something within you. Right? And we talked about this idea of like old brain, new brain. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can watch that sermon from last week. But there's this idea that even from uh, neuroscience, that they believe that there is a part of your brain that is like the most primitive. It's just the most basic part of your brain. That's all about like, like you know, fight or flight, survival. If there's a threat coming at you, your old brain just switches on. Right? If you feel threatened, I mean, you could be the most reasonable person. And there could be something telling you, I shouldn't do this, but this old brain will just take over and you will be led in a direction. Someone comes at you with a knife, you're going to start shaking. Right? You might want to look confident. You're like, dude, I want to I I be cool. But you're not cool in this moment because your flesh is taken over. Does that make sense? Right? And so there is these things that... You know, like, have you ever felt under threat in some way? Your fight or flight will kick into action. And the funny thing is, is that it was built to keep you safe from, like, tigers and stuff, right? But the thing is, any form of stress or anything that your mind perceives as a threat will kick in the old brain. So even, like, a test or thinking about a socially awkward situation. It's not a lion, it's not a tiger, it's not gonna kill you, but your old brain doesn't know how to process anything else except through fight or flight. So you, have you ever been nervous for a social situation and you start sweating, and you start shaking, and your heart starts beating faster? Why does it do that? Because you're getting ready to run or fight. It makes no sense now, right? But this is just the way you're built and you can't help it. So th there are so many people, right? I have been one of them. I just told you, I used to suffer from panic attacks, panic disorder, right? You can't help it. There's something that takes over. Is you have an anxi anxiety disorder, right? You may tell yourself, stop it. Stop being anxious, stop being anxious. It doesn't help, right? Because your flesh is controlling you. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah? And so then you start to see the shape of life. 
And you start to see what it's talking about in the scripture is that we are not as free as we think we are. We are being led by our flesh, by these natural tendencies that you have. And if you want to overcome that, you are going to need some help. You're going to need spiritual help because that's what spirits do. Spirits lead, right? And so it says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I know law sounds, you know, you, you think about like Old Testament law. In this context, they're talking about law, kind of like laws of nature, right? Like, like the, the principle of the spirit of life, the, the rule of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. But I want to show you what it actually is in the Greek. So if you see that arrow, right? I'm just trying to show you. So if in the ESV, this is what we read, and they're trying to make it more understandable. But in the original Greek, it reads like this. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So I think that the original Greek is trying to show you that what the spirit is, it's the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That is what's setting you free, right? And it's setting you free from this principle of sin and death. Now, we went over last week, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but the idea that sin, it's not just bad stuff you do. It's missing the mark. It's not being able to live the life that God wants you to live. So for instance, if you are not able to love people selflessly, if you're not able to be generous, right? It doesn't mean you're this terrible person, but naturally, when we are under threat, we self-preserve. We fight or flight, and we just think about numero uno because that's how you stay alive, right? And so many of us, when we are under stress, anxiety, all of these things, we are not our best selves. We are not able to live the kind of life that God wants us to live because different programming is kicking in. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So let's continue. Um, it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Um, so the law is the idea that... Now, this is talking about the Old Testament law, right? This is showing you the will of God. This is what you should do. You should not you know, uh, steal. You should not hate your neighbors, right? You should love people. You should take care of the foreigner. You should do the, all of these things in the law. But what Paul is trying to say is that you cannot do it on your own. You can't just read the law and be like, okay, it tells me to love people. I better love people. You're powerless to do it because the flesh is in control. Does that make sense? The flesh is too powerful. So the law is weakened by the flesh and you cannot do it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So I know that's very dense, but let me just try to break it down for you a little bit. So basically what it's saying is that by God sending his son Jesus to die for us on the cross, what has happened is that we are now able to die also to the flesh. So Jesus is taking uh, uh, all of the, the things, all of the penalties and whatever, you, you know, and, and he is condemning sin in the flesh. I know that that sounds like really just like a mouthful, 
But basically what it means is that God is trying to set us free in Christ Jesus. He is trying to defeat sin itself, right? Those sinful tendencies within you. Because you look at the way Jesus lived, and he was different, right? Jesus was different. Jesus was able to love people when it was not the popular thing. When people threatened him with death, he didn't change his mind or he didn't start reacting in a different way like most of us do when the, 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 the flesh kicks in, right? And you're just trying to preserve yourself. Jesus would do the loving thing. He would do the right thing every time, right? And so what, what happens, uh, we'll talk about this more in detail about what Jesus does for us on the cross. But what you need to know right now, he's, he's condemning sin in the flesh. He's defeating sin in the flesh so that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What does that mean? Now, the, the word for righteous requirement, it actually means righteous acts. In this context, it means righteous acts. So what it's trying to say is that Jesus is defeating sin in order that you can now live righteously. You can actually live now according to the law or according to the pattern of what God wants. So just think about, like, like I, I know the law. It, it's, it's so complicated. There's so many things in the law. But Jesus boils it down like this, and so I'm going to boil it down to this. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God with all that you are, and love your neighbor as if they were you. That's it. But that's so much. It's so difficult. We're not able to do that perfectly. But what this is saying is because of what Jesus did in us, he's doing something so that now you can actually do that. You are going to have the power to do that. Now, friends, maybe a lot of you are thinking like, yeah, but Pastor Steve, I can't. You know, um, I, I, I used a, a lot of examples last week, um, but how about this? Do you ever like, like see like a homeless person? And, and there, there's a thought that you have. You're like, I want to give that person money. I want to help that person. But then for a second, there's another thought that comes in. And you're like, what if they're dangerous? Oh, this could be like mad awkward. What, what if they threaten me, right? And so what's going on? The spiritual side of you, right? The part of you that knows what you should do. There's a part of you that's like, I want to help this person. And then your flesh is like, protect yourself. Danger, danger right? And you're fighting that. It happens all the time, right? And so when you see Jesus, right, Jesus would like literally go up to a person that everyone in their society is like, you can't touch that person. If you touch that leper, you're going to get sick. Oh my gosh, you got to stand six feet away and you got to have a mask on. You got to do all this stuff. We have to keep this person outside because they're a threat. And Jesus goes up to them and is like, puts his hand on them. What? He's so free. He's so fearless, right? Jesus is operating a different way. And this is what God is trying to give to us, right? Through Jesus. So, so uh, in order that righteous acts of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, 
but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So I want to show you something. Um, there are many Christians, there are many people who you say you believe in Jesus, but you're not completely free. You still feel that tug of war between the flesh and the spirit, right? There's still things that you wish you could do, but you're powerless to do it. And this is what he's talking about, that we are meant to have the spirit living within you, and then you are able to walk according to it. It gives you power. It leads you into the kind of righteous life that God wants for you. But many of us are not able to do that. And this explains why, right? We're, we're, we're not living, we're living according to the flesh. And when you live according to the flesh, what happens? You set your mind on the things of the flesh. Now, friends, what would happen if you wanted to live according to the Spirit, but your mind was just filled with the things of the flesh? Would you be able to do it? Right? Like, let, let's say your whole environment was this different kind of spirit. What are we talking about here? I want to explain to you what the spirit is, okay? Because I feel like I can't take it anymore. We got to know, right? What is this spirit? And I'm going to show you several scripture passages because you may not believe me, <laughs> right? Because you may not have heard it this way, right? There are two spirits, basically. Now, are there more spirits? Probably. But there are two general categories of spirits. And the Bible tells us what it is. So let's look. 1 Timothy 1.7. God gave us a spirit, not a fear. And actually, the word for fear is cowardice. It's not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and self-control. The word for self-control here is a sound mind. Being able to see things clearly. Being able to say, hey, yeah, this is the good thing that I should be doing. And you actually have the power to do it. And why do you have the power to do it? Because you are animated by love. It is a spirit of love, right? Not a spirit of fear. So the two spirits, you got love and you got fear, right? First John 4, 8, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For he, fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So one of the problems that we have in this life is that we are trying to fight fear with fear. <laughs> Basically, when you are afraid, people are saying, don't be afraid, right? And then you're like, oh, I can't do it. You're still on the spectrum of fear, right? And so we try to fight it with our willpower. We try to fight it in the flesh, and it's not working. And so what the scripture is saying is the way that you cast out fear is you cast it out with love, not with fear, right? Or, or you don't just try to stop it with your own willpower because you're doing that in the spirit of fear, right? So I just want to use an example. Um, I, this might sound kind of funny, but um, sometimes our leaders uh, struggle with this a lot. <laughs> is, is um, you know, I, I'm just going to use the example of drinking. This, this might seem, sound kind of funny. Um, Jesus drank alcohol. I hope you know that, right? Uh, he drank wine, you know? Um, but I know for a lot of young people, it becomes this big sort of like struggle because, you know, when people are underage, you feel like you're breaking the law. And, I mean, you are, right? And, you know, the thing with alcohol is that alcohol is two things at the same time. It's an alcoholic drink, right? And the first part is a drug and the second part is a beverage, right? And so many people in Jesus' time, they would drink alcohol like a beverage, right? You drink it with your meal, right? Cut up some steak. There are many countries where 
even like people who are younger can drink a little bit of wine, right? Just like your water or your soda or whatever, right? And I gotta tell you, I have never drank my, my uh, <laughs> you know, my LaCroix or my, my water. I don't drink it like this or my cappuccino. I don't go, <laughs> right? That's something else. That's not a beverage, that's a drug, right? And the reason why that's so attractive is because, by the way, do you guys know what they would call alcohol back in the day? You know what they call it? Spirits, do you know that? Because they knew that it would lead people, right? There are many, many crimes <laughs> that involve alcohol. I think they say that like more than half of the crimes that are committed involve alcohol or some kind of mind-controlling substance. Mind-controlling substance, right? It changes you. And, and so, friends, uh, the, the reason why I mention this is because I know there are some people, like, I, I'm not going to, uh, uh, you know, to me, uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's an overrated controversy in college. I'll just be honest with you. We spend way too much time condemning people because they drink. Right? I mean, it's, seriously, it's just such a waste of time. But I will say that there are some people, like, let's say that you are an older person in the ministry, and you're at the bar with your friends, and you're starting to think like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to have a couple beers or whatever, right? I'm 21, you know, no big deal. But then the thought occurs to you, I'm a leader. What if somebody sees me at this bar, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't drink. What is that a spirit of? It's a spirit of fear, isn't it? Right? Now, what about this? What about you see somebody from church and they're a freshman and they see the leader and they're like, oh, hey, hey, so-and-so small group leader. And you're like, oh, shoot, right? Now, you could do that out of spirit of fear, right? You could do it because you don't want people to judge you, right? Or the way that, that Paul talks about, like, he, he had something similar. He wasn't talking about alcohol, but he was talking about food sacrifice to idols. And with food sacrifice to idols, there are many people, right? Like they literally would be uh, in the, those times, um, you know, Greeks, Romans, they would be killing animals and sacrificing them to Zeus or Apollo or whatever, right? And then they would sell that meat at a discount. And so there are many people, Christians included, who are like, sweet, cheap meat. And they would go and buy the, the meat that was sacrificed to an idol because they were poor and that's all they could afford. And there's some Christians that are like, mm, I don't know about this, man. This seems kind of sketchy. How can you buy food and eat food that was sacrificed to an idol? That's wrong. There's only one God. And this was Paul's answer. He's like, idols aren't real. <laughs> Go buy the cheap meat, man. It's cheap. <laughs> Zeus isn't real, right? Just get the discount. Who cares, right? But this is what Paul said. He's like, now for me, I don't care if you eat food sacrificed to an idol. It's not real. Nobody cares, right? But if there is a younger Christian someone younger in the faith, and they're not, their mind is not made up yet. And they see me, the Apostle Paul, eat food sacrificed to an idol in front of them, I might damage their faith. And so Paul's like, for that sake, I mean, seriously, if it's going to damage someone else, I'll never eat meat again. So what is Paul's operating principle? Is it fear? No, because he's like, I know, I know idols aren't real. Right? Paul doesn't care about what other people think about him. 
But what he cares about is the faith of his younger brothers and sisters. It's love that is motivating him. Does that make sense? Right? So how we do things, the spirit that you do things is important. And so for us, if it is love that is animating you, right? I mean, there are many, many situations. You know, I, I, I would talk to the leaders a lot about this at the beginning of the school year, that, you know, maybe if we had a spirit of fear when we're talking to new people, and we're like, hi, I'm Steve, because I'm just thinking about myself. I'm thinking in the spirit of fear. What do they think about me? Am I doing a good job? Am I a good leader? But if I'm thinking about them, like, oh my gosh, like, I wonder what it's like. Like, I remember what it was like to be a freshman. I want them to feel welcome. I want them to know that there's a community that they can belong to, and it's going to change the way I talk to them, right? And so this is what I would tell people, right? Love the people you're talking to, and you won't be nervous, right? You won't have fear. Don't, don't, it doesn't help to say, stop being nervous, right? Okay, Pastor Steve, I'll try, right? But if instead you can have a spirit of love, pray for those people, right? Let the spirit guide you to love these people, and then it's going to be a different spirit, a different atmosphere, a different way of being. Does that make sense? Yeah? One more, and we're we're not going to go into great detail in this, because we're going to be talking about this next week, because this is just a fantastic passage. This is two verses after what we read. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into, say it with me, fear, right? But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit is a spirit that makes us part of a loving family. It makes us a part of God's family, right? It is not a spirit of fear. It's not a spirit of punishment. It's not a spirit of messing up. It's not a spirit of threat. It's a spirit of love. Come, I love you. I accept you, right? And it is in that spirit that we're supposed to live, right? So friends, the the, the spirit of love versus the spirit of fear. Now think for yourself. When you are in the spirit of fear, are you living your best life? Are you living your best life when you're anxious and you're worried and you're stressed and you're thinking about what other people think about you all the time? But when you're in the spirit of love, seriously, think about it. The the, the last time you're really passionate about loving someone, when you really hurt for someone else, when you really felt the presence of God with you. Man, there are times where I've gone to retreats and there were kids who at the beginning of the retreat, like like they're all strangers, they don't know each other. And there are these kids who like, like, they're so afraid of being socially awkward, so afraid of what people think about them that no one wants to talk. No one wants to sing. The first worship service is always really horrible from a musical standpoint. No one's singing. No one's moving. No one's into it because everyone is gripped in a spirit of fear. And at the end of the retreat, what happens? The spirit of love, it melts all of that. And you see these kids, these kids who care so much about what other people think about them, they're jumping up and down like crazy people. They're arm in arm with other people. They're hugging people they don't even know. Right? And you're like, what happened? It's the spirit of love. Right? It's the spirit of love. That's the way I want to live my life. I want to live my life in that spirit, knowing that I'm loved and knowing that I'm created to love. Right? And that spirit that brings life. And so, friends, um, you know, it goes on. And, man, there's so much stuff here. You know, 
And, and so I, I'm not going to get into all of it because, man, it's, it's good stuff. But friends, I, I just want to talk about what are some ways that we can live more in the spirit of love than fear, right? And so the, the first thing that I would say is to just notice when you are in fear. Now, friends, I, I say notice because everybody is in fear at different times, right? It's just natural. I used to wake up in the morning, um, because I told you I had an anxiety disorder. I would wake up in the morning, and I would just feel this kind of fluttering in my heart, this, like something was wrong. And nothing had happened yet, you know? But I just felt that all the time. I, I just felt like, like something was wrong. You know, I felt like I wasn't doing something, right? I felt like, like I woke up in the morning and just, just I felt off, right? Notice that. Again, you're not going to combat it by saying, stop being afraid, right? But you need to acknowledge it. And so if you notice that, that you're, you're afraid, if you acknowledge that you're afraid, um, in, in everyday situations, that's the first step. Because if you acknowledge it, then you can ask for a different kind of spirit to come in, right? You can let go of that spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to come. And so the second thing is to take breaks from fear, right? So... Um, friends, this is the, the, the thing, right? I, I told you about this idea that those who, are, um, those who live by the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And so it is a, a cycle where you are in an atmosphere of fear, right? Fear sells, right? Every politician, seriously, this is what they use is fear, right? I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I don't know what your politics are, but this is just what politicians do. Seriously, if you don't believe me, watch Donald Trump's 2016 inauguration address, I guess it would have been in 2017, but after he won the 2016 election, and it's seriously just the, the, the speech is 100% fear. We are living in a wasteland, people. Like we, are, like we are at a precipice as America, right? And it's very powerful, right? What, what do advertisers try to do to you? They try to make you afraid that you're not measuring up. Hey, look at these beautiful people. You, you're not like them. <laughs> Not as beautiful as them, right? And, and so th we're always in the spirit of fear, right? I, I, I used to say that I would go on campus, especially during like, like uh, finals time. And if you're like in the library during finals time, it's like the fear, the anxiety, it's palpable. You can feel it just radiating off of people. Anxiety is one of the most uh, contagious emotions that we have. Right? And so you could be like really calm and one person comes into your room and they're like all like anxious and jittery. And before you know it, everyone's starting to feel it. Has that ever happened to you? Right? And so friends, we are just inundated with fear. We're inundated in this different kind of spirit. And so we have to find a way to break away from it. And one of the things that, that we're going to recommend it's not always going to be some magical thing where the Holy Spirit enters you and then all of a sudden, I'm not afraid anymore. If that happens, great. <laughs> but what I want to encourage you to do is be in an atmosphere of the Spirit of God as much as you can. That's my advice to you, right? And so that means taking breaks from the spirit of fear, right? So, I mean, I don't know about you, but the first thing I do in the morning is I, I go to my phone and I turn it on. And I start reading my phone, and I start reading the news, and maybe social media. And just, it's fear everywhere. From the moment you wake up, like, like seriously, your eyes just open, and then you start looking at your phone, and you're in it, right? And so we've got to take breaks from that. That's part of the reason why Jesus would get away, 
right? Why do you think Jesus could be so different than anyone else? Because he knew who he was. The Spirit of God told him that. The Spirit of God told him that he was loved, right? But he had to go away to hear that, to be reminded of that, I think. And so there are times where there, there would be people that they wanted a piece of Jesus, and there's all these people, they're sick, and they're needy, and they're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And the disciples are like, we, we, we don't know. And they're looking for Jesus. They're like, Jesus, where'd you go? Jesus, oh my gosh, there's all these people. Oh, what are we going to do? And Jesus, he just took the boat out, just, just went to a lonely place, and he's there praying. He's just there with the Father. He takes a break, Right? I know we call it quiet time, devotional time, and I can't tell you how many people do this in the spirit of fear. You've heard from your church or from your pastor, hey, do your quiet time, or you're a bad Christian. What is that? No, no. You are doing it to get away from the spirit of fear, right? Don't do it because somebody, like, like you think you're going to be a bad Christian. It's not in the Bible. Thou must have a quiet time, right? Like, don't worry about it, friends. But I'm telling you, if you want to get away from that spirit of fear, you've got to take those breaks. And so for me, my prayer time, my devotional time, that I'm just sitting and chilling in the spirit of God, it is a time where I can get away. I can just be with God. I can get away from those thoughts. I can get away from the news. I can get away from social media. And I just sit still. I sit in front of, of, of a window, and I just, I just say, Jesus. And I just rest. I don't, I don't do anything. I literally don't do anything. I'm in the spirit of God. That's it. We need that. We need to take breaks, right? So, friends, you know, uh, the, the third thing, the, the final thing, is to replace that fear. Replace the messages of fear. You're hearing all these people telling you you should be afraid. This is why we read the scripture, right? This is why, you know, for me, meditating on Romans 8 was so powerful for me. Right? And it's not to do it, again, in a spirit of fear, like the spirit of comparison. Right? So many churches, th th that's so rampant, and people are so proud because they read so much scripture. I don't care about any of that, but I need it. I need it. I need these messages that tell me that God is in control, that God loves me, that I'm not alone. And I need that repeated in my mind and in my spirit over and over. The scripture, it says to meditate on the law of God. Back in the day, people didn't have... Bible apps. They didn't have a physical Bible. And so they would memorize the scripture and then they would just repeat it in their head, right? The, the, the word for meditate, it's this mumbling. It's this recitation just again and again and again, right? And, and there are times, friends, where we need that. Now, I, I showed this gif of, uh, if you guys have seen Rogue One, this is a guy who's like in the force and the force is kind of like their sort of like Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it that this character is like, well, if it's the will of the force, then I'm not afraid. He literally says that, right? It's like, if it's the will of God, then I'm not afraid. But um, there's this scene where he needs to get somewhere, and there's all these people shooting, right? And so you see it. There's explosions, and there's fire. And, and so he just starts walking. And by the way, he's blind. So he's walking, and there's like literally gunshots and lasers just shooting everywhere, explosions. And he just keeps repeating. I'm one with the force, and the force is with me. I'm one with the force, and the force is with me. I'm one with the force, and the force is with me. I'm one with the force. And he's not afraid. What about you? Now, I'm not saying don't repeat, I'm one with the force. The force isn't real. <laughs> but is there a scripture that you can keep repeating and reciting? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
you know, if we can fill our heart and our mind with these messages that let us know we are loved, right? And so in, in scripture, it talks about singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I just want to give you four psalms to get started, right? I mean, there's so many good ones. Psalm 23, Psalm 25, 16, and 46, they're fantastic. They're short. They're meant to be just like little songs, right? You literally can read them in 30 seconds, some of them. Like some of them maybe a minute, <laughs> you know, but they're not long. And you can repeat them. You can take little portions of them. And just keep repeating them in your mind, right? Put them on your phone. Put them in your notes app, right? As you're walking to class, when you're so afraid of the test, you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, my future, my future. I'm not going to get into med school. Just read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We need that. We need to repeat, to, to replace these messages. So, Connie, if you could come up. Now, friends, I, I want you to know, and, and we're going to talk more about this next week, but you are loved by God. And we want you to experience that as a reality. It changes the way that you live. It changes the way that you operate in this world. If you can operate from love and not from fear, um, I just want to give you some time, you know, because I, I know what I shared, it was a lot. <laughs> there was even more, but I'm like, we don't have time for this. <laughs> but there's so much, there's so much there, friends. And so I want to just give you a moment to just pray and just absorb what you heard. God, just may you be with us. May you speak to us. May you speak to our deepest souls and our desires. And, and friends, uh, if you can hear me, just, uh, you know, one of the things we can do is we can invite the Holy Spirit. We can invite God. You know, it's not one with the force, but God does want to be with us. He wants to be within us. He wants to, to live with us, to animate us, to... To, to lead us by his Holy Spirit. And so, friends, um, yeah, let, let's, let's just, you know, if you are in a place where you are afraid, I, I, I just want to say that the Holy Spirit wants to be within you and to give you power and hope, to give you that spirit of power, love, and self-control. You are not alone, friends. And why don't we sing uh, this song, uh, Oceans, as, as a response in faith. So if you could please stand.